Hot Front next. Breaking news, a ruling from the Colorado judge on whether to disqualify Trump from running in the state. Also breaking powerful explosions rocking northern Gaza. Israel now warning it will strike anywhere Hamas is found as Hamas releases a new hostage video. A new video of House Speaker Mike Johnson making anti-gay comments just weeks before he was elected speaker. This is we are learning more about his wife's ultra-conservative and anti-gay views. Let's go out front. And good evening, I'm Erin Burnett, and we begin out front on this Friday with breaking news. A judge seconds ago just ruling on whether former President Trump should be kicked off the ballot in the state of Colorado. Judge Sarah Rollis deciding that Trump is eligible to run for president, even after his role in the January 6th insurrection. Uh, A group of voters had filed a lawsuit, and this was based specifically on the 14th Amendment. They argued that that amendment would bar Trump from federal office. Uh, A judge, though, Ruling the other way, as I said just seconds ago, a team of reporters is standing by uh, to go through the details on this breaking news as we get it. Lucy Kafanov is out front in Denver. Evan Perez is in Washington. And Evan, uh, as I said seconds ago, I haven't had a chance to read 102 pages. I, uh, you've had a chance to see a little bit more of it than I have. Uh, right. But what, what do we need to know? The bottom line, uh, Aaron, is that the judge, uh, Judge Sarah Wallace, is ordering that Donald Trump's name will appear on the ballot in Colorado. This is uh, a ruling that she just uh, came down. And the, 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 the bottom line for the judge is that the 14th Amendment, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which is what these voters were, see- were seeking to have enforced, uh, they say, the judge is saying uh, it's not clear that this applies to the President of the United States or to the, uh, that this President of the United States is covered by that section of, of, the, of the 14th Amendment. It's not clear that the framers, the, the writers of, the, uh, of that section of, of the Constitution intended for that to apply to the President of the United States. And I'll read you just a part of what the, uh, the, the, that the, the 14th Amendment says. It says that uh, anyone who previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer in the United States uh, or as an executive and a judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof is disqualified from uh, holding office. And so that's what uh, these voters were seeking to have enforced, to have uh, the former president struck from the ballot in, uh, in Colorado. And the judge says uh, that really she can't really enforce that because it's clear to her that uh, if the framers of the Constitution had intended for that uh, to apply to a president of the United States, then they would have made that much clearer. And so in her view, it does not apply, and therefore the, president, the, the former president will appear on the Colorado ballot. Now this is uh, in line, we should say, with some other challenges that have come forward. There are, judge, there, there are voters who have brought similar challenges in Minnesota, in Michigan. Another uh, 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 sort of fringe candidate has brought, had brought a federal lawsuit in New Hampshire. Yep. All of these had been tossed aside for, for exactly this reason. It's not clear that you can bar the, the former president of the United States simply because of what happened on January 6th and, and the accusations of his involvement in, in, in inspiring what happened on January 6th, Aaron. All right, well, we're gonna have a lot more to talk about this because of course, uh, you know, you, you lay out that logic. Of course it is on a certain level, so others could be barred, but not the president of the United States. Um, 
that's confusing. Uh, I think I think all could could see that. But uh, there's a lot to get through here. And as Evan said, it's 102 pages. Uh, so as Evan continues to go through this, understand the logic on this, that this is a significant case because uh, people had been watching Colorado so very closely on this specific one. This was a crucial test. I want to go now to Lucy Kafanoff. She's in Colorado and she's outside the court. Lucy, what are you hearing? Well, obviously, all eyes have been on Colorado, where this electoral drama had been playing out at the courthouse behind me minutes ago. As my colleague uh, just pointed out, Judge Wallace ordered the Colorado Secretary of State to place the former president on the Colorado primary ballot next year when it verifies the ballot on January 5th. Now, this lawsuit was filed by six Colorado voters, four Republicans and two unaffiliated. It was with the help of uh, the watchdog group Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. And in court, they effectively argued argued that Trump had engaged in an insurrection by uh, inciting a violent mob to attack the U.S. Capitol on January 6th in order to stop the peaceful transfer of power, uh, which they argued makes the GOP frontrunner ineligible to hold office under the 14th Amendment. Trump's attorney, uh, also a former Colorado uh, Secretary of State, State, pardon me, Scott Gessler, he had argued that not, not only does January 6th not qualify as an, as an insurrection, but he also argued that there is no evidence that Trump intended to incite violence. He suggested that the lawsuit amounts to election interference. And we have been speaking to uh, voters on the ground who are largely split along party lines yeah. um, in understandable ways. You know, Republicans uh, thinking this is inter- election interference, Democrats uh, supporting keeping Trump off the ballot. But we had er- heard arguments from some Democratic voters that given how divided the the climate in this country is, perhaps using the legal system as opposed to the ballot box is not the most effective way to have to to have folks weigh in on whether Trump should be in office, Aaron. All right, uh, Lucy, thank you very much. Uh, And I want to go now to the Colorado Secretary of State, uh, Jenna Griswold. Uh, She is a Democrat. And uh, Secretary, I appreciate your being with me. So first, it's 102 pages. I know you probably haven't had a chance to read through all of it, but obviously uh, you were watching it incredibly closely. So what's your reaction to this? Well, I I think the court could have ruled... uh, three different ways, and this is how the court ruled. At the end of the day, there's big questions about how Section 3 of the 14th Amendment works. And the court has determined that it does not apply to the presidency. There are some people out there, constitutional scholars, who of course would agree with her. There's others who would not agree with her. And either way, I think um, there's a high chance that this case is further appealed. So I think that the Mm. court has been very thoughtful. Like you said, it's 102 pages. It just broke. uh, And I will follow whatever decision, uh, judicial decision is in place by the time that ballot certification happens. Absolutely. And I think important that you say it'll be further appealed because the expectation had been, and by the way, Trump was out there today saying he expected to lose, that they would, of course, appeal, but that even with a Trump victory, uh, that that the voters who brought this case will also appeal. Um, I'm here with Ryan Goodman. I don't know if we have, do we have Section 260? that you were showing me? Yes. All right. I want to read something to you, Secretary uh, Griswold. And this is uh, just something from the ruling. Sorry, Section 298. So Ryan Goodman uh, just found this. Section 298. Consequently, the court founds that finds that petitioners have established that Trump engaged in an insurrection on January 6, 2021, through incitement, and that the First Amendment does not protect Trump's speech. Secretary, how significant is that line for you? I mean, it is, to, to me, pretty stunning here. The whole, their whole concern had been, oh, well, insurrection and seditions conspiracy are hard to prove. The judge says in this ruling that they did establish that Trump engaged in an insurrection. 
It, it's really powerful for the entire nation. Uh, I believe Trump incited insurrection. Uh, there's always questions whether his in incitement reached the level of disqualification. And to find a court of law determined that, yes, he did incite the insurrection, I, I think is important for the entire country. Mm. Regardless if Trump is on the ballot or not, uh, he is a danger to American democracy. He consistently lies to the American people. He incited the insurrection. He calls his political opponents vermin, which is very dangerous language. He just showed the Capitol in flames. Mm -hmm. uh, he is a, a direct danger to democracy. And I, I think um, that the court really underlined it. Uh, so, Secretary, I do want to be clear on this, though, and, and you're clear on how you see it. But, but you know, while you are an outspoken Trump critic, you actually were technically a defendant along with Trump in this case because you are the Secretary of State. You oversee ballot access. So you didn't take a formal legal position in this case. I know you were in court for the closing arguments. You've seen the evidence, right? You know it in and out. Uh, but you, you, you didn't, uh, you were technically a defendant because of your role as a Secretary of State. Do, how do you feel about that? Do you think that's that's the right thing? That that's and I know you did it because that's your position, but do you believe that that's the right thing? That it's the right thing that you had to do that? I think it's the right thing for elected officials to follow the law and uphold the Constitution. And in Colorado, there is a law that allows everyday voters to file a, a lawsuit against the Secretary of State challenging the certification of candidates to the ballot. That's exactly what happened in this case. Six Republican and unaffiliated uh, voters filed a lawsuit saying that Trump disqualified himself from engagement in the insurrection. So the judicial system, uh, letting it play out is how this country should work. Trump's words of saying this is in somehow election interference uh, is just a continuation of his lies to the American people about our democracy. And this, again, is just how things should work out. Judges decide when there's big contentious issues. Secretary Griswold, I really appreciate your time. And thank you very much for being with us uh, just immediately as this broke. As I said, I know you know it better than anyone, but uh, you haven't had a chance even to read all of it yourself. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you. All right. That's the uh, Secretary of State for Colorado, Jenna Griswold. And I want to go now to Ryan Goodman and Joan Biskupic. So let me just start with you, Ryan. Um, I want to start with Section 298 because you found it. So this, just to, to summarize, I'm going to put it in English. You tell me if I'm right. This 102 pages establishes that the judge says that Trump did indeed incite an insurrection, that his words are not covered by the First Amendment, but that it's okay that he be put on the ballot to serve as president, even though anyone else who did those things would not be. Absolutely correct. Okay. <laughs> Can you square that circle? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so it's a factual finding by the judge that uh, she believes that he did, in fact, have specific intent to uh, incite an insurrection to interrupt the congressional certification of the election. But where that would ordinarily mean for other people who had sworn an oath to the Constitution that they're therefore disqualified from ever serving again, she interprets the words of this constitutional amendment, which says officers of the United States, that it applies to officers of the United States, that that does not apply to the president, that it would have to be explicit, that it's ambiguous, that officers of the United States <laughs> is a technical term that refers to other officers of the United States, but not the president, maybe not and the president. And that she's thinking either. if you meant the president, you would say it. Okay, I yes, understand that. Um, but this is one of those situations where if all these things are true, this is an absurd conclusion to make. 
as a as a layperson? Probably so in a certain sense, but then the other answer might be you don't want to apply such a categorical bar against somebody serving as president. If the entire country wants that person to serve as president, mm -hmm. then they should be able to do so. The so will it's a of the voter. Will of the voter, very special mm -hmm. to lead the entire country, so that person would not be able to be disqualified from office by the 14th Amendment. That'd be the argument. There's a special right. case for the president. Right, right. And that you would want, and I guess that's in a sense the point that's being made here, is that let voters have their say, don't adjudicate this this way. Yes. Um, Joan, how do you see this? And I know that Trump had indicated that he expected to lose this, uh, okay. that he would therefore appeal. And I know you had felt that that appeals process would go relatively quickly because you got to make a decision on a ballot fast in order to print them. But now he's won uh, presumably there still will be appeals. I mean, what happens from here? Yes, as I understand it, under Colorado law, uh, the, the losing party, the challengers here, would have until Monday to actually file an appeal with the Colorado Supreme Court. And then the Colorado Supreme Court would have to decide, you know, does it want just briefing or does it want to do briefing and oral arguments? And my understanding from talking to people in Colorado that that process could run and I'm just kind of gaming it out with you, uh, Aaron and Ryan, right now. Say it would run about 20 days if they actually had oral arguments, if this case is appealed. And we'll know later tonight, certainly, if the challengers to Donald Trump uh, trying to keep his name off the ballot are going to appeal. And then let's just say we'd get a ruling by early December, like December 8th. Then then the losing party there would come to the Supreme Court. Now, Donald Trump might end up being the losing party there. The Colorado mm -hmm. Supreme Court might say right. that his name should not be on the ballot. But again, just for purposes of argument of what happens next, either Donald Trump's attorneys or the attorneys for the challengers here would then go to the Supreme Court. And as I understand it, Aaron, we've got like a January 5th deadline for in the state for you know getting these ballots prepared. So, you know, this to me has a lot of shades of, frankly, Bush v. Gore that came crashing down on us right before Thanksgiving and early December. Right. Much different issue, much different court, <laughs> a very different court here. But I would think the key question then would be, would the Supreme Court try to decide this question on just filings? Or would it hold oral arguments? If Donald Trump loses before the Colorado Supreme Court and the Colorado Supreme Court says he should not be on the ballot, I would bet the Supreme Court would not want to hear that appeal only on paper, that it would feel it was important enough if it was going to take the case to actually hold oral arguments. And that could happen, you know, with briefing in mid-late December, uh, early January to try to meet uh, a January 5th deadline. Now, again, I'm just gaming this out. But right. here's the other thing I would say. If Donald Trump continues to prevail, let's say, you know, he, he just won tonight. And if he wins before the Colorado Supreme Court on appeal, there is no split in the circuits at that point. Whatever petition appeal then comes to the Supreme Court, there's no split. It's that he's he's won in every case. And the justices might think that they just reject the petition, the, you know, the attempt to try to reverse the lower courts out of hand. You know, that, that might be an mm -hmm. easy thing for them to do. Or they might feel, given that there's this big cloud hanging over uh, the presidential ballots because of these arguments that have been fully joined now, that they might feel like they have to 
resolve it so that it's clear mm -hmm. going forward for the primary. Uh, so I hope that helps give the timetable. But I think things are going to move very fast that beginning very right fast. away, right away on Monday. I think <clears throat> that they, uh, as I understand the Colorado law, they have to get moving if they're going to appeal. So, you know, you, it, 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 people have to pay attention to a level of detail to, to have this have impact. And certainly we know when it comes to polling and Trump's performance and his status as a front runner, nothing has had impact. Um, uh, at least negatively, right? I mean, if anything, it's, it's, it seems to have solidified his role. But Section 293, the court concludes that Trump acted with specific intent to incite political violence and directed the Capitol with the purpose of disrupting the elect uh, uh, electoral certification. And it just it continues. Section 294, when the violence began, he took no effective action, right? It's all laid out with the conclusion that the petitioners have established that he engaged in insurrection through incitement, and the First Amendment does not protect his speech. If that was just this ruling... Mm -hmm. And there was nothing else about putting a name on a ballot. That would be a hugely significant thing. That's new. Yes. From a court perspective. Does that break through? I think it might. I think court decisions often can break through. They have to be reported. In sort of un an unexpected way, right? Because the headline yes. is Trump won. He's on the ballot. Yes. But, but this, this is a huge one might argue, is the terms. headline. Yes. And but for the fact that he was president, running for president, he would have otherwise been disqualified. It's just that narrow of a miss because the judge is laying it all out. But that is a judicial finding that he is essentially guilty of an incitement of an insurrection and the First Amendment would not have covered him. That's enormous. Mm -hmm. Joan, what do you make of that? I mean, you know, all this laid out, established, engaged in insurrection, that the First Amendment doesn't protect him, uh, but for that he was president, he yeah. would not be allowed to run. But, but Aaron... That is significant. And I, I think you're exactly right that there are probably some lay people out there saying, or many people out there saying, well, I don't get it. But this provision in this, you know, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment that has really never been tested. It's certainly never been tested at the Supreme Court in this fashion. Right. A key component is the role of the person who took the oath and would have betrayed the oath. And this trial judge said, no, this would not apply to Donald Trump. So if and when it's appealed and it, I would think it would be, frankly, you know, they would appeal it on that question and say to the Colorado Supreme Court, you know, look at all these findings. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you, as a matter of law, think that President Trump would be quali qualify here under that under that provision? All right. Uh, stay with us, please. I want to go to Kristen Holmes. Kristen Holmes, we know that the former president thought that he would lose this. So he's got the at least at this court level tonight. He won. His name is on the ballot. But there's all this other stuff in there. I mean, what is the reaction right now? Well, I will tell you that I believe the reaction is going to be split. First of all, I am already hearing that they are relieved. I'm told that, sorry, I keep looking down at my phone because I'm told we're going to get a statement here any second from them on this ruling. Uh, but as you mentioned, they were bracing for a loss. They had already written their appeals. Sources told me they were going to file it immediately. I even spoke to someone who had been sitting through some of the trial who said what they were witnessing, they really believed it was likely that he would lose this case. There is a sense of relief there. But when you talk about her finding this conclusion that he did engage in an insurrection, that is going to rub people, including former President Trump, the wrong way. Now, in particular, one of the things that I had spoken to a number of sources about was why they were so confident that if they lost today, that this would be overturned on appeal. And they had a number of reasons. The first one being that they pointed to the similar cases that were in New Hampshire, um, in, in Michigan as well, and Minnesota. And the fact that those, those cases had never even 
even made it to trial, that they were dismissed beforehand. They also talked about the fact that these election subversion cases were still ongoing in Georgia and Washington, that Trump had actually not been convicted and that he was not even charged with the crime of insurrection. Now, obviously, again, the judge here concluding that he was engaged in the insurrection because of his words inciting supporters. So that is a little bit of a split there in what they had originally argued. The other interesting part here is that they had accused this judge of essentially being politically biased, something that we have heard in multiple of these cases. Uh, But they specifically pointed to the fact that she had made this $100 donation to a liberal group that was formed after January 6th. And what was one of their causes was because of January 6th is why they were formed. they said that they believe that she was tainted. Now, obviously, her ruling shows that he is staying on the ballot, follow, following what she believed to be the letter of the law there. Uh, but it's just interesting to see how this is going to break. And I am looking for that reaction specifically to that incitement uh, of the insurrection, excitement of its supporters that engaged in the insurrection, because I think that is going to be something that is key here. All right. Uh, and as you get more information, Kristen, I'm going to go back to you. I'm sorry. I'm just looking down here to underline another crucial point here. Uh, so as Kristen gets more and she gets a formal response here, we will uh, we'll be going back. I want to bring now Republican strategist Alice Stewart into the conversation, along with Evan Perez. Uh, Joan Biskupic and Ryan Goodman also are back with me. So, Evan, what is your takeaway now that you've had a few more minutes here to go through this? Um, it is, as Kristen said, one can only imagine Trump's reaction to some of these lines, uh, you know, that his language was clearly intended to cause imminent uh, violence. Um, you know, again, if you were to take pages 93, 94, 95, uh, 93 through 95, and that was your only ruling, it'd be the most damning thing that a court's issued about Trump yet. That, that's right, Aaron. And look, I mean, the, the fact that this this uh, this case even got this far has been a surprise to everybody. Everybody thought that, like the, the the courts in Michigan and Minnesota and New Hampshire, that these things would be thrown out simply because uh, you know we've never had uh, something like this, right? We've never had a, 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 a presidential candidate, leading presidential candidate, face disqualification because of this question of whether he engaged in insurrection. And so this was certainly a a big test. And it was surprising that this judge not only uh, wanted to hear this this, this challenge, but also held multiple days hearings. And and here, what she's doing is going on the, frankly, one of the thinnest uh, pieces of, of, of technicalities to say that her hands are tied and she really goes, I'll read you just a part of where she says uh, near the end in the yeah. final paragraphs there where she says uh, that, uh, you know, she says the court agrees that there are persuasive arguments on both sides. The court holds that the absence of the president from the list of positions uh, to which the, apl- the amendment applies, this is the 14th Amendment, uh, combined with the fact that Section 3 specifies the disqualifying qualifying oath to be to one of support for the Constitution. She points out that when you're president, you are swearing an oath to preserve, protect, and defend. So what she's saying is because those words are slightly different from what others would swear when they take the oath, it doesn't apply to the President of the United States. And so that's the reason why she is ruling this way. And and frankly, you know, the things that Ryan and you have been talking about really does sort of show that she was leaning all the other way until until this one technicality. It's almost like, does the word Pyrrhic victory apply? I think so. Um, And I think that if I were Donald Trump and in his camp, they should still be worried. If they were worried about an adverse decision, 
The way this is set up on appeal is everything is locked into place for potentially disqualifying him, but for, as Evan described it, the technicality. That's a pure question of law that the appeals court, the Supreme Court of Colorado, could mm -hmm. go the other way and say, no, that's way too narrow a reading. It must apply to all U.S. officials. All right, Alice, uh, you know, Lucy Kafanov, uh, who's there in Colorado in front of the court, she spoke to some voters earlier just ahead of the decision to get uh, their reaction. And here's some of what they told her. There has been a process for 200 years on how to do this, and this is not the way. I feel like if you're in, in trial for anything, let alone felonies, you shouldn't be allowed on the ballot. So, Alice, how does this play out with GOP voters? Uh, especially, you know, in, in the party primary where, you know, when you read through this, you can obviously see uh, not people like Chris Christie, of course, grabbing on to some of the substance of this ruling. Look, Aaron, there's no disputing the culpability of the former president with regard to what happened on January 6th. And it was uncalled for, unacceptable, and many say un-American. But in terms of this lawsuit, um, the courts repeatedly, this is the third time, almost the fourth time, the courts ruled that this is not the venue and the avenue and the legal way to go about uh, having Donald Trump face the consequences for this. And politically speaking, there are many Republicans who are extremely frustrated with the fact that Donald Trump is the front runner. But that being said, his base and Republican primary voters that want him on the ballot legally have that right to do so. Now, I spoke before this ruling came down with the Colorado Republican Party chairman, Dave Williams, and mm -hmm. he just replied back to me with his uh, comments in response to this ruling. And Dave Williams says, the court has widely, wisely ruled in favor of President Trump. The fringe legal theory cannot be used to remove a qualified candidate from the ballot, let alone the front runner to the Republican Party. Said radical left-wing activists need to stop undermining free and fair elections and simply allow the voters to decide. Now, what this uh, Colorado Republican chairman said is that it was, has always been unfair for a liberal judge from Denver to single-handedly stand mm -hmm. in the way and remove someone from the ballot that is a threat to the front runner of the, the Democratic Party. And, and look, I truly believe there should be consequences for Donald Trump's actions with what he did, but Republican voters, at least in Colorado, and certainly with the state party, uh, feel that this was a, the appropriate uh, ruling, uh, and obviously they are ready and prepared to face the appeals that will no doubt come from the other side. And, 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 and Joan, a quick final word. Sure. You know, it's ultimately to the Supreme Court and uh, the Supreme Court. Uh, this is something it's never looked at before, but it's a very conservative Supreme Court with three Trump appointees, six conservatives out of the nine. And I, I, at this point, it's hard, hard to uh, bet exactly. But I wouldn't be surprised if Donald Trump remains on the ballot. All right. Well, thank you all very much. And as, as we all keep reading this, I hope everyone at home will. But I, I can say at the very least here, and obviously we've been hosting this, so I haven't had a chance to read all of it as I've been speaking, but I have read 93 uh, now through 102, and wow, there's a lot to think about in there, and I hope everyone will read it. All right, next, the breaking news, powerful explosions over northern Gaza tonight as Israel warns it may be ready to expand its assault on Hamas, plus new video of Speaker Mike Johnson making anti-gay comments just weeks before he was elected Speaker. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. 
Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support, your sleep number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking news now. We have large, intense explosions over northern Gaza. What you're looking at there was filmed uh, just moments ago after Israel signaled an expanding war in Gaza, now saying it will advance anywhere Hamas is found in the entire Gaza Strip. When conditions are right, of course, they've been distributing leaflets in southern Gaza uh, now, Hamas tonight releasing a new video which appears to show another Israeli hostage held in Gaza. And we are not going to release details of this one. It did appear in a Telegram channel, though, belonging to Hamas's military wing. It's important to note that this video comes after Israel recovered the bodies of two dead hostages, a 19-year-old IDF soldier and a 65-year-old grandmother in the past two days. Oren Lieberman is out front. The military operation at Gaza's largest hospital, ongoing at this hour, after the Israeli military says it found an operational tunnel shaft in the Al Shifa hospital complex. CNN geolocated the shaft at this point, sharing the same campus as the imaging building and other hospital units. But CNN cannot verify Israel's claims. Hamas denies the accusation, and the IDF has not yet shown evidence of a large network of tunnels underneath Gaza's largest hospital. The UN High Commissioner for Human Rights called for an independent investigation. We need to look into this with, with, by having access. We cannot rely on one or the other party when it comes to this. On the ground in Gaza, conditions have rapidly deteriorated, with much of the population fleeing to the south. In Khan Yunis, trash is piling up on the roads and crowds queue for the little food available. It's not the only shortage. Fuel is the basis of life. There's trash in the streets and sicknesses have spread. And what more can I tell you than that? You can see there's no fuel, no electricity, no water. Israel announced Friday it would allow in two tankers of diesel every 48 hours to help power the sewage treatment plants in Gaza and to prevent the start of a pandemic. But it's about 3% of the fuel that once entered on a daily basis, according to the head of Israel's National Security Council. This petrol which is going in is only for humanitarian needs in order to provide for the millions of people there. In Ramallah, in the occupied West Bank, the EU's foreign policy chief met with Palestinian Prime Minister Mohammed Shteya. Calls for a ceasefire are growing, as are the demands for a political process to end the conflict once and for all. Shteya doubts that's possible. This Israeli government today does not care about two states. This mood of revenge that Israel is, is driving Israel today should stop. 
Meanwhile, the IDF has brought back the body of another Israeli hostage in Gaza, 19-year-old Noah Marciano. She is the second Israeli hostage known to have died in Gaza. 65-year-old grandmother Judith Weiss was found dead near Al-Shifa Hospital, the IDF said. The father of another hostage, Emily Hand, put her picture up in Times Square as a way of marking her ninth birthday spent in captivity. We were hoping that she would be back by now. That would have been our prayers answered. But she's not. She's still down in the, in the tunnels. So now we have to hope that she'll be back for Christmas. As part of the negotiations, CNN has learned from two Israeli officials and a source familiar with the negotiations that Hamas had demanded that as part of a pause in the fighting for a hostage release, Israel wouldn't fly drones over Gaza. Now, that's obviously a demand that Israel is incredibly unlikely to meet because drones are an incredibly important part of the military operation to observe what's happening on the ground, to see where Hamas is moving, to see where Israeli forces are. And if drones aren't above there, then Hamas could relocate and potentially even move hostages. It's unclear if that's still a part of the discussions or if it's already off the table. Either way, Aaron, it's quite clear that there is no deal in place at this time. Oren, thank you very much. In Tel Aviv, of course, just after 2.30 in the morning there. Well, there are 237 people that we believe are hostages held against their will tonight in Gaza, captive now for 42 days. And one of the stories that we've been following here out front is the Eponim. She was one of the nine missing American hostages. Her husband is also missing. They were in Kibbutz Niroz, just a couple miles from Gaza, uh, when they were taken. And Liad's father, Yehuda, is out front tonight. So, Yehuda, you, I know, were informed about the existence of a hostage, a new hostage video by is Israelis today, before anyone else found out about it. They, they reached out, they told you about it. I know you've chosen not to watch it um, yourself. What was your reaction when you heard that there was another video, even? <clears throat> Generally speaking, I prefer and I try not to get wrapped up in the uh, psychological warfare that Hamas is obviously trying to wage. Uh, this is, has been my position all along. Uh, I feel I need to remain uh, uh, sane in order to deal with the ongoing attempts to uh, free all the hostages. Uh, which, of course, is the number one priority of uh, the American uh, families and all the other families that are involved in this. Right. Uh, it's a difficult uh, mission to, uh, to remain focused on that. So, again, I, I can't allow myself to get wrapped up in one of the One of the families, um, like yourself, suffering such unimaginable and unending uh, pain and worry, um, today said that they knew... Uh, or they said that they knew that someone had been killed by a Hamas terrorist years ago. Uh, and they would be okay uh, with that, that Hamas terrorist being released. Whatever it took. The point is, whatever it would take, Israel, do the deal. Do you feel that way now? Whatever, whatever needs to be done, do it? I think uh, there, uh, there is certainly... Uh, you know... I don't know. I don't really know what's on the table. I, if it were up to me, a, uh, an all-for-all -all exchange is fine by me. Right. Uh, I wouldn't guarantee the fate of the Palestinian prisoners that were released uh, afterwards. Uh, that's another story. Yeah. Uh, but th th I think this is 
more or less the mindset in Israel altogether. Today. So I know you're from Philadelphia. Uh, your daughter was partially raised in, in New Jersey, um, settling in Israel. Of course, I know you you also live in a kibbutz there. You're yes. a dual citizen. So I know that you're, you're both um, speaking to American officials and Israeli officials. How helpful are they right now? I know at first, in those first few weeks, it was almost impossible to get any information from anyone, in part because they didn't know that it was disorganization, confusion. What is it like now? The First of all, the... the Involvement of the American uh, administration uh, and officials uh, at the political and uh, professional level has been exemplary throughout. Uh, there is no room for equivocation on this. It's yes. been outstanding. Uh, on the other hand, uh, on the Israeli side, uh, the, um, uh, the mechanisms that are designed to deal with uh, people uh, the families of victims in this particular case were were so overwhelmed. Uh, yeah. There was there was essentially a complete state of chaos, and it's taken quite a while for them to get themselves organized. I think that it's it's okay to say that by today the it's better yeah. uh, than it was in the past, uh, but no no way yeah. no way no no way compares to the level of, of American, the United States. Uh, I want to ask you one thing, Yehuda, because I can't wrap my mind around this, my heart around this. You know, you see the billboards and you see the signs and there's such an amount of support. But then there's also videos like, you know, if you, man on the Upper West Side and, and his partner ripping down hostages, hostage pictures, right, that were, that were stuck to trees. Um, and there've been a disturbing number of such incidents. And I just can't understand them. I mean, how do you come to terms with such hatred? Uh, I think that the, first, I'm sure there are a number of different levels here. This, this is not a simple thing. Uh, if uh, someone is being um, guided by some kind of uh, leftist progressive uh, impulse mm -hmm. uh, to react to the pictures or posters of the hostages, then all I can say is that uh, they're very seriously uh, misdirected uh, in, in their thoughts and actions. Uh, there, there can be no uh, equivocation uh, to the moral depravity that Hamas displayed uh, by this attack on Israel. And uh, if, you're a, if you're a progressive leftist and you're willing to take a relativistic approach to this, then uh, you need to really examine your whole moral framework of existence. Well, Yehuda, thank you very much. I appreciate your taking the time. As I said, I'm not, not glad to see you, but glad we have a chance to speak. Thank you. Okay. Out front next, new video of House Speaker Mike Johnson making anti-gay comments just before being elected speaker as we're learning more about the conservative mission he and his wife have been on for years. For more than about two decades now, we've been working together on the front lines of the culture. Plus, we're going to take you to the streets of Taipei, where Taiwan's fears of a war with China tonight are stronger than ever. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts.
Tonight, the House Speaker Mike Johnson caving to the right wing of his party, just releasing 44,000 hours of video from the January 6th riots to the public. He released the video under pressure from Republicans led by Congressman Matt Gates. His predecessor, Kevin McCarthy, had refused to do the same, only making the footage available to Fox News. This is video that conservative personality Tucker Carlson released to bolster his effort to downplay the violence of the insurrection. It comes as Johnson is facing new scrutiny over anti-gay comments he made just weeks before being elected speaker. He said this on the broadcast of the World Prayer Network. The culture is so dark and, and depraved that it almost seems irredeemable. One in four high school students identifies as something other than straight. Um, we're losing the country. Speaker Johnson's stance on homosexuality is shared by his wife, who is a Christian counselor and hosts a podcast with her husband where they publicize their ultra-conservative views. Sunlin Sarfati is out front. Kelly Johnson is not a household name. I want to thank my dedicated wife of almost 25 years, Kelly. She's not here. We couldn't get a flight in time. This happened sort of suddenly. <laughs> but she has been suddenly thrust into the national spotlight. She spent the last... Uh, couple of weeks on her knees in prayer to the Lord, and um, she's a little worn out. With her husband's quick ascension to speaker, the second in line to the presidency. I believe that God has placed him here. That's biblical. The Bible says he raises up leaders and he, he brings them down, right? So, he, so I believe that God has him here for just this time. For years, the two have displayed their faith on a united political front, with Speaker Johnson often putting her at the forefront of some of the most hot-button conservative social issues. I'm Mike Johnson. And I'm Kelly Johnson. The two host a podcast together. For more than about two decades now, we've been working together on the front lines of the culture. In all those experiences, Kelly, we became more and more burdened over the years about what was happening in our country and in our communities. Where their views against same-sex marriage, abortion, and other flashpoints are amplified. How to raise what we call countercultural kids in a culture gone mad. The Johnsons have been married for nearly 25 years. This ring is a symbol of my covenant with you. They have a covenant marriage, which is only recognized in three states, making divorce more difficult and only in a limited number of situations. I think, you know, we can be emotional creatures, and I think that, that we like to know for sure that, um, that it's going to be for a lifetime. Kelly Johnson says she believes other forms of marriage are marriage light. If you decide that you want to opt into covenant marriage, and your, and your mate says, no, I don't think I want to do that. Well, I think that's a big red flag for us. Maybe we need to rethink the situation. Johnson has been a school teacher in the past and at times has worked for the Louisiana Right to Life Educational Committee. But it is her work as a biblical counselor which has recently drawn scrutiny. I want to be able to help them through their times of struggle and suffering. The website for her counseling services included disclaimer language in their bylaws saying they believe that any form of sexual immorality such as adultery, fornication, homosexuality, bisexual conduct, bestiality, incest, pornography, or any attempt to change one's sex or disagreement with one's biological sex is sinful and offensive to God. The website has been deleted since Johnson became speaker. As a husband, you know, I'll take any arrows, that's fine, but don't talk about my wife, for goodness sake. 
And a source close to Kelly Johnson tells me it's been a whirlwind since her husband was first elected speaker and the couple, they're currently discussing her next steps. How involved will she be? How present will she be here in Washington? And they'll discuss this next week during their Thanksgiving break. Now, as far as that podcast that they host together, the last episode was only released in October last month, but this source tells me that they are currently reconsidering whether that will continue. Hmm. Aaron. Sunland, thank you very much. That was fascinating. Well, next, fears of an all-out war between Taiwan and China now reaching a fever pitch. Why? On this crucial week of the summit. We're going to take you to Taipei next for a story you'll see first out front. Plus, the Carter Center tonight releasing new information about the health of the former First Lady, Rosalind Carter. Tonight, new fears in Taiwan of a war with China. China continuing to step up military pressure. On Taiwan, of course, 23 million people live there. And the uncertainty comes on the heels of that meeting between President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping. Will Ripley is out front tonight from Taipei. He is one of the few American television journalists based in Taiwan. Here's his report tonight. Taiwan will never forget those four tense days when former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit triggered unprecedented Chinese military drills, widely seen as a dress rehearsal for war. More than a year later, on the streets of Taipei, for some, the prospect of war feels closer than ever. Of course we are concerned that what happened to Ukraine could happen to Taiwan. I'm a mother and I have kids. President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping's marathon meeting in San Francisco aimed at dialing down the temperature on a host of hot-button issues, especially Taiwan. The most important and sensitive issue in U.S.-China relations, she was quoted in Chinese state media, Washington has no plans to stop selling billions of dollars in weapons to Taipei. Military cooperation, including U.S. training of Taiwanese troops at the highest level in decades. The U.S. formally switched diplomatic recognition from Taipei to Beijing in 1979. We maintain the agreement that there is a one-China policy. And that uh, I'm not going to change that. As for the future of this self-governing democracy, she says China will realize reunification. This is unstoppable. Beijing's uh, activity become uh, uh, something like Nazi Germany did. Su Tzu Yun is director of Taiwan's Institute for National Defense and Security Research. He warns China's military buildup, the biggest in a century, may be just beginning. He says it can only be deterred by massive military power. Does that deterrent force need to include the help of larger militaries like the U.S., like Japan? Sure. Taiwan is uh, enjoy a very uh, important uh, uh, location. Uh, if Beijing uh, can uh, occupy Taiwan, uh, it's become a so-called uh, Hawaii, uh, Chinese Hawaii. They can send their submarine from East Taiwan, and such submarine can reach west coast of the United States to strike the United States. Last year, Beijing fired ballistic missiles over Taiwan. Here in Taiwan, people have lived their entire lives with the reality that China has an arsenal of missiles pointed at this island that could be raining down in a matter of minutes. That's why here in Taipei alone, there's an estimated 90,000 air defense shelters ready for whatever comes. 
When the People's Liberation Army surrounded the self-governing democracy, Chinese state media said they were simulating a blockade, practicing a possible precursor for a full-scale invasion, jolting Taiwan into a new risk-filled reality, putting high-stakes diplomacy to the test. Worth noting that for the second day in a row now, during a portion of this report, China censored our signal inside and then they brought mm -hmm. us back. So they were happy for us to show their military. They were happy for us to show their weapons. And certainly they're happy for Taiwan to see it as well. We have to watch really closely, Aaron, a big development in Taiwanese politics. In fact, three hours from now, two opposition parties will be announcing their candidates for president and vice president, posing a very surprising and credible challenge to the ruling party, which has tended to have a stronger stance against Beijing, saying you need to match Beijing with military power, where these other opposition parties say they want to work with Beijing, they want a business relationship. The argument, though, on the ground here is that that could actually cause Beijing to move even further and harder if they sense any weakness here. So very interesting to see how this plays out in the coming months, Aaron. All right. And of course, in these next few hours, and we'll be we'll be watching that. All right. Thank you very much. Will Ripley live in Taipei uh, this Saturday morning, of course, where Will is. And next, an update on the former First Lady Rosalind Carter's health. Tonight, former First Lady Rosalind Carter has entered hospice care at her home in Georgia, according to the Carter Center. Her family revealed earlier this year that she had been diagnosed with dementia. Her husband of 77 years, the former President Carter, entered hospice care for health issues earlier this year. He is the longest living U.S. president, now 99 years old. Thanks very much for joining us on this Friday night. AC360 begins right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.